If you're new to youth ministry and love our free resources like our articles and podcasts, it may be time to try out our gospel-centered inductive Bible study curriculum for teenagers. If you don't know how to start, tired of creating your own curriculum, or you're just curious about what other youth ministers are finding helpful, we have developed a whole community and platform of resources just for you. Rooted Reservoir has all you need to lead your students through inductive Bible study with over 24 books of the Bible already available and more added each year. Our newest curriculum plans are a 31-week study on Luke and Acts and a 26-lesson study on First and Second Kings. Try it for free and join the several thousands of youth pastors who have downloaded our free Philippians curriculum, or go ahead and sign up for your yearly membership to access a full year of curriculum, four different youth ministry training courses, and over 200 teaching illustrations to help you as you plan each week. Visit RootedMinistry.com and head to the curriculum page for more information. RootedMinistry.com You are listening to a talk recorded at the 2023 Rooted Ministry Conference in Franklin, Tennessee. While you listen, why not visit rootedministry.com conference to learn about the 2024 Rooted Conference in Dallas, Texas. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. It reads, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the law that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. and Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under, underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. Let me pray before we get started. Father, just so thankful for who you are. That you are king of kings and lord of lords. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts to, to hear from you, to experience you, Father. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart is acceptable in your sight. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Raise your hand if you ever met one of those people 
who love to talk about their glory days in high school or in college. You know, like uh, the most likely to succeed or the class president, the football or basketball sensation, or maybe even the, the track and field athlete. Raise your hand again if you ever met one of those people. Well, if you haven't, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Isaiah Marshall. And I'm one of those people. Don't judge me. Now, I don't talk about track and field just for the sake of talking about track and field. Track and field has a very special place in my heart. It's through that sport that I learned a lot of great life lessons, had a lot of great experiences. I met my wife through track and field. And I can remember it most vividly, her chasing me around the track, asking me for my phone number. <laughs> At least that's how I remember it. But I had some really cool memories um, through the sport of track and field. But I also had some unpleasant memories that taught me some, some life lessons. So it was a Thursday afternoon, and my high school had a track and field meet. After school let out, a teammate and I decided to walk down to the store to grab something to eat before we competed. We made it to the store and grabbed a few slices of pizza because, you know, that's what you go and eat before you go compete in the race, right? <laughs> we left out of the store, the cool spring Michigan breeze at our backs. As we walked down the block heading towards the school, as we continued down this block, I noticed these two guys standing on the sidewalk. But I didn't think anything of it, because people stand outside all the time. And plus, it was broad daylight on a block full of houses. So we kept walking. And as we approached these two guys, one of the guys pulled out a gun, held it to my chest, and said, take off your shoes, empty your pockets, and take everything out of your book bags. So we listened. We emptied our pockets, took off our shoes, and we emptied our book bags. I can remember as we emptied, one of the guys saying, don't take this personal. We're just trying to feed our kids. Now, I don't know how far this got them, but they left with two pairs of shoes, 50 cent, and two bus passes. <laughs> we were some broke high school students. But to their credit, they let us keep the pieces. Now, I remember leaving this traumatic event very deflated. It felt like I was watching hope fade into the distance. Like a hopeful future that constantly told me that I was more likely to go to jail than to go to college. Like broken promises from an absent father that causes his child's heart to flatline. That's why they call him deadbeat. You ever watched your hope die a tragic death? Grieve its part in your heart where it once resided and watched it get buried in other people's expectations. You ever felt like your future was playing hard to get like a high school crush? Treating you like you don't exist, like you never desired it, like you didn't give your life to acquire it. It's defeat a song you know all the words to. Prayed so hard but felt like God never heard you. Has giving up felt like the only option? You ever run and run towards your mark only to be told that it's impossible, that you're not smart enough, that you're not talented enough. Does the limitless skies of possibility appear to have a ceiling in it? Where false narratives repeat like a broken record, you can't, you can't, 
you can't. So many of us and those young people that we that we serve are overwhelmed with so much pressure that the world gives us. See, a prideful kid from Detroit who thought the, the world centered on him was humbled because in that moment I realized just how power, powerless I was. After this traumatic event, my teammate and I were thinking through our next move and it dawned on me, we got to walk back to school barefoot. That was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, having to explain to my peers why I was walking around with no shoes on. This was a very humbling moment for me. But life has a way of humbling us, don't it? And in my experience, life has not always been pleasant. And people are not always pleasant to us because relationships can be messy. Pride causes us to be very harsh, overly critical, unloving, and very judgmental towards others. You see, in the courtroom of life, we sometimes find ourselves on the witness stand, subject to the judgment of prideful individuals with the standards they set. It's like a mirror exposing our flaws. Exposing our brokenness, exposing our shortcomings, causing us to feel bad about ourselves. And we must be careful that we don't become that thing that we loathe. But as believers who profess Jesus as Lord, we have to be mindful of how we navigate relationships and how we treat others. Because we are governed by, by different standards. Which is why the Sermon of the, on the Mount is so important and relevant to our lives as believers in youth ministers. The Sermon of the Mount is part of Jesus' teaching about the new community called the kingdom of God that he came to establish. The Sermon on the Mount shows us, the people of God, how we are to live and function as citizens in his kingdom. And in this section, Matthew 7, 1 through 12, we see Jesus' shift from, from personal temptations of performance and wanting to look better than we are in chapter 6 to speaking to his disciples about how they relate to one another in, in, as kingdom citizens, how they are to relate to God as kingdom citizens, and how this informs the way we live out our kingdom citizenship in this world. And as youth ministers living out our call to serve students as citizens of God's kingdom, then God is inviting us. As leaders, as we steward young people, to lead with truth and grace by pursuing the God of our faith so we can live out our kingdom calling God's way. Amen. Now, my high school track coach had very high standards for his athletes. And I love my high school track coach. He was, he was one of the individuals in my life who had you know, some of the greatest impact on my life. Great leader. Um, he knew how to bring the best out of, his, out, of his, out of his students because of the investment and the relationship he had with us. But he had high standards for his athletes. And he would judge us based on those standards. If we were a part of his team, you had to abide by his standards, which meant you had to show up and give full effort that day. But suppose tomorrow I didn't feel like it. it. Didn't matter. I still had to show up 
and give full effort that day. He didn't adjust his standards based on how I felt. It didn't matter if it was sunny outside, which was rare in Detroit, cold outside, which was often in Detroit, or you showed up to the track barefoot because you just got robbed. You had to show up and give full effort that day. And here's why. Because the standard was outside of me. It was a standard regardless of how I felt about it. I had to adjust my life to his standards because he wasn't going to adjust the standards based on my feelings. And just like my coach had high standards for his students as being a part of his team, God has standards for those who are part of his kingdom. The world tells us that you can set your own standards, which, is, which often results in you becoming the standard. That is how a sinful heart that reveals itself as pride works. A prideful heart desires to make one look better than they, than they are, often at the expense of making others look bad. And as someone who invested a lot of time in athletics, where it's all about performance and results, you want to be the best and look the best and make your opponents look inferior to you. In the kingdom of God, only God can set the standard because only God can speak absolutely without error. God has standards and he will judge based on those standards. God's standard is holiness. First Peter 1.16 says, be holy as I am holy. His standard is perfection. Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. God's standard is holiness and perfection. So despite how good and perfect we think we are, when we hold up God's standard like a mirror, it shows us just how imperfect we are and how much we need him. But the heart, as Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, the life of a kingdom citizen is a life of humility, submitting ourselves to God. But the problem is our sinful hearts that reveals itself as pride, desires to make ourselves look better than we are. And just because we are called to join God in the work that he is doing in the lives of students, we're not exempt from that temptation of pride. Jesus starts this section addressing something that we tend to do very well, which is judge others. In Matthew 7, 1 through 6, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is not prohibiting judgment. In fact, there are a number of texts that commands believers to use discernment in judging the actions of others. The text challenges us to examine our hearts to see if we are judging from a place of pride. When Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, don't focus and point out the sin of others while neglecting your own sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Dr. Tony Evans says, to illegitimately judge is to create your own standard of what is acceptable and measure everyone else against it. When a sinner creates a standard, he becomes the standard. So the question then becomes, as citizens of God's kingdom, whose standards are we using? And I don't know about you, but I would much rather be judged and measured by a standard that God has set because he is much more loving than I am, much more merciful than I am, and he is much more gracious than I am. Now, whether you've been serving students for for two weeks or two months or 20 years, you know the beauty and the struggles of serving students. And I get it. It's easy for us to, as, as youth ministers, to look at students we serve and be hypercritical and judgmental because maybe they're not showing up to youth group or other youth events. We assume that students are not serious about their faith. It's easy for us to look at parents and be hypercritical and judgmental towards them because we feel like that they are choosing sports over their child's faith. We assume that parents are not serious about the faith of their, their students. We look at the church with judgmental eyes and ask, why aren't people serving? They must not care about the faith of students. Why can't we get more support in the church? The church must not care about the faith of students. We constantly, we are constantly pointing the mirror at parents, students, and even the church using standards that that's not God's. There is a God of the harvest and we are not him. But we need him. It's easy to judge the hearts of others and feel justified if we're using our own standards. And I often wonder how often God looks at me and say, Isaiah, you say you love serving students and bringing them into my presence. But as a parent, how often do you do that for your own kids? How often do you immerse yourself in my word, not out of obligation to teach, but to get to know your heavenly father? How often do you humble yourself in my presence, not simply asking for things, but to experience intimacy with me? Maybe that's just me. You and I must be mindful of the standards by which we use when we judge others. Because with the same measure we use will be the same measure God uses to judge us. And again, I would much rather be judged and measured by God's standards because he is more loving than we are. He is more merciful than we are. He is more gracious than we are. Jesus is not saying don't judge. But what he is condemning is judgment that focuses on the planks in the eyes of others while excusing the log in our own eyes. And as youth ministers, we should be crying out like David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. When we allow God's standards, 
holiness and perfection to be applied to our lives, it humbles us and allows us to see our own place. When we allow God to address the sin in our own life, we will be more understanding, compassionate, and righteous in our assessments and better able to help our brothers and our sisters and those we serve address the sin in their own lives. We have to allow God to do the work in our lives so that he can use us to do the work in other people's lives. This will allow us to lead with truth and grace to what God who embodies truth and grace. In John 1, when John talks about the word becoming flesh in Jesus, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, from his fullness we have all received grace Upon grace, then he makes this comparison between the law and truth and grace. Verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Through the law, God revealed his character and his righteous standards that he knew the Israelites couldn't keep perfectly. Nonetheless, called them as followers of the Lord to live his way. The law put a spotlight on their sin, but couldn't transform their hearts. Then in steps Jesus. As God reaches out to a sinful humanity through his perfect son with the ultimate display of his love for us, when he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We lead with truth, with the truth of the gospel. Because unlike the law, the gospel has the power to transform hearts, leading to transformed lives. See, the reality of the kingdom is the gospel, the good news, which is why it's so important for us to communicate the gospel any chance we get and that we are rehearsing this for ourselves. The gospel gives us identity. It gives us a proper perspective of who we are and who God is. We are sinners. Jesus is Savior. As sinners, we need a Savior. Sin divides relationships. The Savior repairs relationships. Sin causes us to condemn and criticize because sin is prideful. The Savior enables us to have humility self-reflection and compassion. The gospel is Jesus's own sacred teaching. The gospel is Jesus's precious and valuable message to sinners. But we recognize that not every young person will receive the gospel. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. In other words, some won't appreciate what Christ has done for them. They may show contempt for the gospel and the gospel messenger, but you serve a God who is faithful and protects. Don't let this discourage us. Share with those who have ears to hear and trust God and his redemptive power. Faithfully lead those we serve with truth and grace towards the Savior who is truth. And from his fullness gives grace. But we can't lead them to a Savior who embodies truth and grace. If we ourselves are not spending time with him, the gospel offers a cure to a prideful heart because it highlights a savior who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In order for us to lead with truth and grace, we must pursue the God of our faith daily. As youth ministers, there is a temptation to look to our own human resources to be successful at what we do. To make it look like we got it all together, to look righteous. We are looking really hard because, if we're honest, ministry can be hard. Serving students in a hustle culture where young people are overcommitted and busy is hard. We read the books and reading books is good. We listen to the podcast and listening to podcasts is good. We talk to each other about our struggles and, and to seek solutions and talking to each other is good. We pursue answers from these good complementary sources and end up taking our eyes off the main source. See, in my sophomore year in college, my coach had this great idea of putting me in a new event. So I had always been an 800-meter runner. But he said, because I put on 15 pounds that year, it would be like putting on a weight vest and running around the track. It turns out I was eating too much pizza. <laughs> he told me that he was going to put me in the 400-meter hurdles. In this race, there are 10 hurdles around the track that you have to clear. He was expecting me to run as fast as I could around the track with barriers in front of me. And he wanted me to learn in a week. No big deal. As they taught me how to hurdle, my coach said, count your steps in between the hurdles. And the most important thing is focus your eyes on the hurdles. You will get tired and the hurdles will be coming at you fast, but don't lose focus. The moment you lose focus is the moment you can hit the hurdle, fall, and disqualify yourself. And I can remember running in my first race. Before I got on that line, my coach came and said, remember what I told you. He said, count your steps. Stay focused on the hurdles. You will get tired, but don't lose focus. I remember getting in that race. I got about to that eighth hurdle, that lactic acid started sitting in. I got tired. I got so tired, I forgot how to count. I smacked that hurdle, and I fell to the ground, and I just laid there defeated. And I remember my coach coming up to me and asking me, what happened? I said, man, I'm tired. I got tired. I lost focus. There are so many youth pastors for a variety of reasons, burning out and getting tired. And maybe you've come to this conference because you are a tired youth worker, a tired youth pastor, a tired youth leader, a tired parent. Don't take your eyes off Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Stay focused. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus communicates something very important to us as we lead young people. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks for him for bread, will give you a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We are asking a lot of questions as it relates to youth ministry. As we realize all these barriers to serving young people, we are asking, we are seeking answers to a lot of our questions from some good, very good complimentary sources. We are knocking on all kinds of doors, hoping that somebody out there has some answers. But perhaps we are trying to look to our own human resources because maybe we think we have the answer. Perhaps we have taken our eyes off Jesus in order to lead with truth and grace to the Jesus who embodies truth and grace. As kingdom citizens, we must constantly pursue the God of our faith. Jesus is inviting us to approach him with humility and prayer, acknowledging that we don't have all the answers, but he does. But the king who provides good things is our source. The king is inviting us to seek him in his will for his ministry and his students, just as he proclaimed in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. As kingdom citizens, the king is inviting us to seek after him, to knock and knock and knock, and the door will be open. We have to ask by persisting in prayer, believing that Jesus will provide according to his sovereign and his gracious will. We can't be so prideful that we we feel like we can do this on our own because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That is what sin does. Our sinful hearts that reveals itself as pride desires to make ourselves look better than we are. You can't be in the presence of Jesus and have a prideful heart, pointing out the plank in the eyes of others while neglecting the log in our own eyes. You can't stand before a perfect Savior and not see how imperfect we are. In addition, you can't stand before a perfect Savior and not see how loved and valued we are. Pursuing the God of our faith enables us to live out our kingdom calling. God's way. Now, I mentioned earlier about that traumatic event experience I had being held at gunpoint. That was a defining moment in my life. And it was a moment I realized just how much my, my coach cared about me. I remember, I remember after walking back to the school, eating my pizza with no shoes on, I remember getting to my coach and letting him know what happened. And as, as we communicated what happened, You can see the concern in his eyes as the silent rage filled his heart. And after we finished explaining, he calmly told us to follow him as he walked us to his car, as he motioned us to get in. He told us to take him to the area where it happened. And I'm going to be honest, I was terrified. I was like, they got guns. He's trying to get us killed. I don't know what's going on with him. But see, my coach wasn't concerned about what what could have happened to him. My coach was more concerned about what happened to his students. He brought Paul's words to life when he said, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We got to the area. and Thank you, Jesus. No robbers in sight. But my coach cared. And how he cared for me has had a great impact on my life. 
and how I want to care for students. How he, cared, how he connected with me has had a great impact on my life and influences how I want to connect with students. And I'm sure many of you can look back at your lives and recognize those who care for you. Maybe it was a pastor, a youth pastor, another godly adult in your life. We can look back in our lives and see just how much other people, flawed and broken people, care for us. How flawed and broken people provided some good things for us. But how much more can our perfect Savior, who provides good and perfect gifts, also provide perfect care? In this last verse, Jesus says in what we call the golden rule, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. As citizens of God's kingdom, Jesus says that we are to treat others the way we want to be treated. As citizens of the, king, of the kingdom of God, we are to love God with our, with our hearts, soul, and mind and love our neighbors as ourselves because, of these, because on these two laws depend all the law and the prophets. As believers who experience the love of God and the fullness of his grace, loving our neighbors should come natural to us. His love should compel us to do for the people around us, the people that we serve, what we would want God to do for us. But imagine for a moment how our churches would be if we took Jesus' word seriously. I recognize that there are no perfect churches, but there should be healthy churches. Imagine for a moment how your ministry would look if we led with truth and grace. Imagine what your life would look if we walked in the assurance that if we ask, seek, and not that God will answer and provide good things. How would you, how would youth ministry look if we focus more on God as the solution and not our and not to the, our problems? God has a work for us to do. What would our life look like if we really committed ourselves to that work, living out our kingdom calling God's way? College, I had this, this, uh, this, this teammate, and he was a, a Paralympian. He was visually impaired, and he taught me a lot about the sport from his experience. You see, visually impaired runners run their race with what they call a the guide runner. The guide and the runner are literally attached by the wrist with a type of elastic string. And that guide has to help the runner navigate the race. The guy's role is to help the runner get from the starting line to the finishing line. But here's the thing. That guy also had to be in shape to make sure that they could lead well. Our role in the lives of students are like running guys. We, where we help students navigate the race of life, clearing the hurdles in their lives, guiding them to a perfect savior. When we lead, lead with the truth of the gospel, giving students a proper view of themselves and God. For those we serve that are believers, allow the Holy Spirit to convict. And for those who have not made 
Jesus, their Lord, lead with the truth that we are sinners in need of a savior. We don't judge and criticize to castigate, but to cultivate their relationship with Jesus, who was growing young people in godliness. And being people covered with grace, we lead with grace. Being called into his harvest to serve his children with faithfulness, we lead with grace, loving young people through their shortcomings, loving them despite their inconsistency or lack of involvement, loving them despite moments when they seem ungrateful, loving them despite our own insecurities. As people who enjoys the gift of God's grace, we are to lead with grace. In our pursuits, relentlessly pursue the God of our faith. So when we find ourselves getting discouraged and frustrated and defeated and weary, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, pursue the God of our faith, pursue the king of the kingdom. The Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, Those who have endured in their faith, who kept their eyes on Jesus, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We lead with grace. We lead with truth to a savior who is truth because he is the way, the truth and the life. You and I should faithfully and relentlessly pursue the God of our faith so that we can live out our kingdom calling God's way. Let us pray. Father, so thankful for who you are, for your goodness, for your love how you constantly pursue after us, even in moments when we turn our backs on you, but you're faithful. Lord, show us how to lead with truth and with grace. Lord, I pray that you equip us. I pray that you continue to do a work in our hearts so that we can serve faithfully in your harvest as we join you in the work that you are doing in the lives of young people. Lord, we want to be faithful. But we want to hear you say, well done. So, Lord, I pray that you guide us as we guide young people. Direct us as we try to direct and point young people to you. Equip and empower us to continue to endure as we co-labor in your hearts. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with joy to the only God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. It's in the name that's above every name. In the name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Master's name of Jesus. To register for Rooted 2024, visit rootedministry.com slash conference.
Parenting has never been easy, and in a sea of information, it's hard to find the gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources you can trust. Whether you're a pastor serving in family ministry or a parent in the thick of raising kids, Rooted Reservoir Family Discipleship was created to equip you to disciple the teenagers in your life. We're excited to add three new courses this September. The first one, Pornography and Parenting, the second on the spiritual and psychological development of children, and the third on navigating technology that talks about girls and social media and boys and video games. Join us today by visiting the curriculum section on our website, rootedministry.com.